0: be a teacher girls all girls at some points I want to be a teacher uh boys I want to be a football player they're saying it's still not on I flip the switch and it's still not on hold on hold on flip the wrong switch I don't know what I did hold on it's my first day with a microphone how about that there we go how's that we good now still not good it says power on oh now we're good okay all right uh, where were we? Oh, yeah. Boys who wanted to be baseball players, football players, policemen, firemen, right? Uh, fire truck drivers. A Marine. That's what you want to be when you grew up, as a Marine. Uh, I, um, like a lot of boys, I would imagine, you know, you go through those strange phases where you name something. I, I asked a little kid what he wanted to be one day. He said, a Marine biologist. He was about this big. I, don't, I didn't know that he would know what a Marine biologist was. One of the very first times I went to a baseball game, I was eight or nine years old. I think we went to... Comiskey Park to watch the White Sox play, and uh, somebody who was with us said, pointed out this, look, you can tell they're getting close. When Vince Lloyd puts on his jacket, he'll be on the air with the leadoff man. The leadoff man was at 10-minute show just before the game. They'd interview some player, the manager, whatever, and I realized I am looking at Vince Lloyd in person, and Vince Lloyd had his jacket over his arm because it was hot, and sure enough, a minute later, he slipped it on, and there was a baseball player next to him, and I thought, Vince Lloyd is here. I watched Vince Lloyd on TV. He would tell me about the Sox and the Cubs, because in those days, the same channel had both games. We only had four channels in Chicago. and One was WGN, which was not a superstation then. It was a black and white station where you could watch the Cubs and the Sox. And Vince Lloyd, he's here. Well, yes, they said, he's here for every game. Really? Every game, Vince Lloyd gets to come? Well, sure, because he's the play-by-play guy. When he finishes, he's going to go sit up there, and he's going to talk about the game. Really? Yeah, that's his job. What? I wanted to be a sports play-by-play guy because in my brain, that meant I could go to baseball games for free and talk the whole time and nobody could tell me to shut up. That was my plan. That was my strategy. And then I got a little older and I said, I want to be a doctor. I was going to be a pediatric surgeon. And then they said, math and science, and I said, okay, let's rethink that, right? Did you go through that process? Our, one of our grandsons, I won't tell you which, he was about three. What do you want to be when you grow up? In charge. And I, you know, that's a completely responsible response from a little kid who said, I'm tired of everybody telling me what to do. I just want to be in charge. And we think about all of those people and what they have said they want to be when they grow up. I want to be a princess, right? I, I want to be the king of the world. I want to be Spider Man. I want to be whatever. In all of those times, I have never heard any child or even a grown up say, You know what I'd like to be when I grow up? I think I'd like to be a butler. I'd just like to walk around behind some guy, your coat, sir, your tea, sir. i want to wear the white gloves and the bow tie, and I just, I just want to take care, I want to be his manservant. That's what I want to be. Anybody? I think what I'd like to be when I grow up is a maid. I just want to clean up after people. That's, that's really what I'd like to do. Did you go to the junior high guidance counselor and say, by the way, can you tell me what it is that I need to do to be a lackey? Because that's what I want to do when I grow up. I just, I just want to take care of other people. Anybody? Now, you might say, well, this is sort of where I wound up in life, but that wasn't what I shot for. It's interesting, when we look through the pages of Scripture and we see how God recognizes certain people and how God entitles certain people, or the the responsibilities or the roles that he gives them, the title of servant is one of the most exalted titles in Scripture. But it's, it's a title that we would run from. Nobody wants to be a servant. We all, like my grandson, want to be in charge. I'm gonna read some passages. There is a man in scripture, you almost get the impression sometimes that when you read his name, you can't see his name just as his name, but there's always this descriptor that follows. He is always known as the servant. And I can't read all of the passages because we would be here all night just reading passage after passage after passage, but I'm gonna start In Exodus chapter 14, verse number 31, I'm gonna read these rapidly. You can try to follow if you'd like. We'll get to my text in a minute. But I just want to set the tone with this. The Bible says in Exodus 14, 31, and all Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse number five. So Moses, the servant of the Lord died there In the land of Moab, Joshua chapter 1, the Bible says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Later on in chapter 1, only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Later in chapter 1, Joshua now speaking, remember the, Lord, uh, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest. Again, verse number 15, Moses, the Lord's servant. Later on in the book of Joshua, Moses, the servant of the Lord. Chapter 8, two different times, Moses, the servant of the Lord. Chapter number 9, The Lord thy God commanded his servant, Moses. Moses. Uh, chapter 12, verse number 6, Them did Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel, smite. Caleb speaking in Joshua, chapter 14, verse number 7, Forty years was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. In fact, you almost can't see the name Moses in the book of Joshua without reading Moses, my servant, Moses, the servant of God, or Moses, the servant of the Lord. It was almost as though the Holy Spirit of God wanted to make sure that Joshua... And all those of Joshua's generation understood exactly who Moses had been. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 53, Solomon is speaking now hundreds of years later. For thou didst separate them from among all the people of the earth to be thine inheritance, as thou spakest by the hand of Moses, thy servant. In 2 Kings chapter 18, verse number 12, speaking of the time the Assyrians came and took the whole kingdom of Israel captivity, Because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant in all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. You're beginning to hear the theme? Moses, the servant. Moses, the servant. All the way through the books of 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, it's Moses, my servant. Moses, the servant of God. Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse number 8. Moses, thy servant. Psalm 105. And he sent Moses, his servant. Daniel, the prophet in Babylon, speaking in prayer. Moses, the servant of God. Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Moses, my servant. In fact, all the way in the book of Revelation, chapter 15, verse number 3, in heaven, John, with his vision of the future, said in chapter 15, verse 3 of Revelation, and they sing the song of Moses, guess what? The servant of God. So all the way into eternity, Moses is going to be known as the servant. You remember the passage in Hebrews chapter 3 that talks about Moses being a faithful servant. That's a quotation from Deuteronomy. Let's turn there to, I'm sorry, in Numbers uh, chapter 12. Let's turn to Numbers, the 12th chapter. Because this may be the most amazing of all of the Moses, my servant passages that I came across. Numbers chapter 12. I'm gonna start reading at verse number six. The Bible says that um, there had been this dispute, there had been some murmuring between Aaron and Miriam and the Lord came to talk with them. And in verse five, it says that he came out of the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle in verse six, and he said, hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord will make myself known unto him in a vision. And will speak unto him in a dream. And we know that, right? We can think of countless examples of God coming uh, to prophets and to preachers in dreams and visions in the days of the Old Testament. But look at verse 7. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? I don't come to Moses in dreams. I don't come to Moses in visions. I speak to Moses face to face. He sees me. He sees my appearance. He sees my similitude. That means my likeness. Now we know the story of Moses and we know when it was that Moses beheld the glory of God, right? So we know that literally all of those things came true. But think about this. Moses, my servant. The phrase that you and I, the, the, the career choice that you and I would say is the lowest of the low. God said, that's the man that I choose to meet with face to face. When you study the life of Moses, you're studying a life of prayer. Every event in the life of Moses is marked somehow or somewhere with prayer. All the way back at the burning bush, right? And we see the Lord speaking with him as it were face to face even there. Moses prayed to the Lord uh, looking for wisdom, for patience, for direction, for protection, for power, and for trust. And it's reasonable because Moses knew that he was what? The servant of the Lord. And as the servant of the Lord, he understood what his responsibilities were. And I believe that he understood what his limitations were. And when we find ourselves entrusted as servants... And then we find ourselves woefully unable and incapable of doing what it is that our service requires of us. What else can we do but to bow the knee and fall on our face before God and say, I need help. I need wisdom. I need direction. And so at every stage of Moses' life, we see him praying. When you think of Moses' prayer, there's probably no greater kind of prayer that you think of than Moses as an intercessor or praying prayers of intercession. Now that's a big theological word, right? Intercession just means to be between. And so when we pray intercessory prayers, we're standing between someone and the Lord. Not like a priest, we have no more right to be there than they do, but the Lord tells us that we are to pray intercessory prayers for one another. A few minutes ago, pastor reminded us of all of those who need prayer in our con- well he reminded us of a few of all of those who need prayer in our congregation. And when we prayed for those people, and this week as you pray for those people, you are praying prayers of intercession. We're praying on behalf of the Huddlers. We're praying on behalf of Howard Kerr. We're praying on behalf of Harry, who's going to go have this consultation. We're praying on behalf of Sue, with now this toe problem, as well as the hand healing. We're praying on behalf of those who are doing their ministry, whether it's in family or whether it's on the job or whatever it might be. Frank was gone this week. He has returned You thought you came a long way to church. He came all the way from Italy, including a 12-hour layover in Rome, sleeping near a flower pot, from what I understood, or a bench for flower pots, so that he could be here tonight. But while he was gone, what did we do? We prayed for him. We prayed for his safety. We prayed specifically safety in travel. We prayed for his safety in the work that he does because there are elements of it we know that are dangerous. We prayed for his safe return. God's answered that prayer. We took part as intercessors. That's part of our privilege in prayer. But there's no one in Scripture with a greater intercessory ministry than Moses. Uh, turn with me to, Deut- to Exodus chapter 32. And now we'll begin to dig in. All that was sort of introduction. You with me so far? Now, we're going to read a lot of scripture tonight because I want you to see what the Word of God says. And I want you to understand the fullness of it. Sometimes we know these Bible stories sort of, kind of, pretty well. But sometimes we lose the details in the middle of things. By the time we get to Exodus 32, Moses has already visited with the Lord a couple of times. Beginning in chapter number 19, chapter number 20, Moses had gone up to Mount Sinai by himself. And there the Lord gave him those Ten Commandments. Plus several other civil rules, right? And he comes down in the early parts of chapter 24 because God said, Go down and I want you to get Aaron, and I want you to get her, and I want you to get the leaders, and I want you to come back up. I have more to say to you. And so those men, the leadership of Israel, went back up into the mountain, and for 40 days, the Bible says they were there. And the Lord was telling them how to build a tabernacle. He was telling them how to institute the priesthood. For forty days, can you imagine? Moses closest, the scripture says, those other men had to lay back at a point. Why? Because God speaks to Moses mouth to mouth. He speaks to Moses face to face. And so Moses came up close to have that conversation with God. Forty days. Now The scripture says, in verse number 31, the last verse, speaking of the Lord, He gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone. Look at that last phrase. Written with the finger of God. Wow. Written with the finger of God. And so Moses takes those two stone tablets and he begins to make his way back down the mountain. God had told him, you need to go back down. Something is happening there you need to be aware of. We'll begin our reading in verse number one of chapter 32. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and of your sons and of your daughters and bring them to me. And all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool And after he had had made it a molten calf, and they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morning and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Can I just put a parenthesis in here? I find humor sometimes in Scripture. Everywhere else in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, we read about the Lord bringing out his people from the land of Egypt. Till we get to this verse where the Lord says to Moses, Your people who you brought out have done this thing. Parents, can I get a witness? Your child did this thing. And they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them, and they have made them a molten calf and have, and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Let's zoom in a little closer. And let's see specifically the sin of the people of Israel. First of all, we see in the first part of the, of the first verse that they disobeyed the word of God. Only 40 days ago, Not even quite two months ago, six and a half weeks ago, Moses came down with those other tablets saying, these are the commandments that the Lord has given you, these ten. You've got ten. What was number one? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What was number two? I shall not make unto thee any graven image. Six weeks ago, six weeks ago, And the first thing they do when suddenly things aren't rolling the way they think they should roll is to say, we need to make us some gods. We don't know where this Moses fellow went, so let's make us some gods. And so the children of Israel decided that disobeying the word of God, which they'd been given only six weeks ago, wasn't necessarily worth keeping at that moment. Not only did they disobey the word of God, but apparently they didn't trust the purposes of God. It had been clear since the days of Egypt that Moses had been raised up by the Lord as a deliverer for his people. Those signs and wonders that he was doing, those 10 plagues that came up against Pharaoh, those weren't just for the benefit of Pharaoh. Those were for the benefit of unbelieving Israelites who still didn't trust Moses. Do you remember? After they found out he had murdered the Egyptian, what did they say? What are you going to do? Kill us too? And so there was always this questioning of who is this Moses and what right does he have? And suddenly they saw the power of the hand of God on Moses, one plague after the next, one miracle after the next. Remember, they got to the edge of the Red Sea and they said, well, now what are you going to do? would have been better for us to have died back there in Egypt. This was not a happy, compliant bunch, right? And the Lord said, pick up that stick again and tell them, stand still. In the Hebrew, it's almost a pretty harsh phrase that says, just shut up. And you will see the hand of the Lord. And so he brought them out on dry ground, and yet just a few weeks later, they hadn't been marching in the wilderness for 40 years by now. They had just barely gotten out of Israel or out of Egypt, and they'd already forgotten everything. God said, I have a plan for you. There's a promised land for you, the land of Jacob and Joseph. You remember all of those stories? And they gave up on all of that. Verse number. 2 and 3 and 4, we find out that very quickly they began to drift back into the habits of Egypt. Egypt in scripture is always a type and a picture of the world. And so the first thing they did is they said, we need to make ourselves an idol. And that idol came out in the form of a golden calf. Uh, The Egyptians worshipped a bull, one of their many gods, Apis, the god of fertility. And so when they saw that bull come out, they saw that calf come out of the gold, they said, this is the one we need. This is certainly going to be the powerful, bull-like, fertile God who can take care of us. How easy it is for us to simply begin to drift back from what we had once been delivered from when the word of God becomes distant to us, when the promises of God become distant to us. Number four, most troubling, they lost sight of who their God was. Look again at verse number four. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. And after he had made it a molten calf, they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Suddenly we're giving credit for the work that the Lord had done to this calf that we just pulled out of a pot of molten gold. Children of Israel forgot who their God was. It was easier to see him as a calf Verse number 5 says, they began to mix it to the point that Aaron saw it, and he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the who? To the Lord. Now all of you are theologians and scholars, right? You notice the word Lord? What What does it look like in your Bible? Oh, it's all capital letters, and we know that that means what? Jehovah. Tomorrow is a feast to Jehovah. We just named the calf. We brought him out. We built an altar in front of him. And so our worship of Jehovah doesn't have to be that one that Moses told us about. It doesn't have to be the one that Moses supposedly is speaking to. We now have Jehovah. We can worship him right here. The sin of the people. In other words, the children of Israel sin the very same way that we sin. While our drifting away from God and back into the world may not be quite this dramatic. I I can't read this This passage without seeing, isn't it the movie The Ten Commandments with Edward G. Robinson? Do you have to be as old as me to remember Aaron as Edward G. Robinson? Where are your gods now? Remember? I, I don't think it was that dramatic, at least for us. God's word seems far to us. God seems distant to us. We refashion God into the image that we want him to be. And we suddenly find it easy for us to excuse our little sinful dalliances. And we don't even talk about him like that, right? Well, I'm not as close to the Lord as I used to be. I'm probably not as fervent as I used to be. I've, I've heard believers describe their waywardness in all sorts of terms. Yes, I've drifted a little bit, I'm following from afar, I'm kind of like Peter, I'm not where I used to be, I'm not under the shadow of his wing, but I'm right over here, I know where the shadow is, I can run to it if I need to. And the reality is we've begun to play again with the world. And the result of all of that, look down in verse number 25. When Moses saw that the people were naked, For Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. The end of the whole thing is the glory of God is suddenly destroyed. And the people who were supposed to have been a testimony to God's name, the people who were supposed to have told all of these unbelievers and all of these foreigners around them who Jehovah was, by all of those customs they had, by all of those manners they had, suddenly it was gone. And we realize at a point, because we're beginning to live our lives in such a way that God is no longer reflected and the Lord Jesus is no longer honored in who we are, that we are no longer bringing glory to his name. But we're bringing shame to his name. And it may not be something as impressive as firing up the furnace and throwing in their earrings and pulling out an idol. But the reality is, when we begin to refashion God into the image that makes him more comfortable for us, we have, in fact, made of him our own idol. And so God responds. And Moses, his servant, responds, look at just a couple of verses, chapter 32, verses 9 and 10. The Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. God said, Moses, leave me alone, I just want to be angry right now. That almost sounds like a human response, doesn't it? God, in his holiness, was so insulted by what he was seeing before him, he said, mankind just has to be put out of my eyesight for a bit. God is holy. He's just. He's righteous. And his conclusion, at least in that moment, the best we can read and understand, was to say, I'm just going to start this whole thing all over again. And that's a whole other story and a whole other line of thought that we're not going to follow tonight because we don't have time for it. But it seems like if the master is angry, what should happen to the servant? The servant should be likewise, right? Let's look at verse number 19 of chapter 32. It came to pass as soon as he, that's Moses, came nigh unto the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mound, and he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. Moses was mad. So angry, he said, you're going to drink this gold. And what happens to everything that goes into the mouth of a man? It comes out of a man, Jesus reminds us. And suddenly that which you were worshipping a few minutes ago, about a day from now, it's going to be nothing but refuge and disgusting. Let's put it in its right context, in its right place. The scripture says in chapter 32, verse number 35, that the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. And so now the people are under the judgment of God. Now the people are living with the consequence of their sin because of what they had done. Now you remember, and I've mentioned it already, and we're not gonna look into it tonight, how the Lord said to Moses, come up here and we're just gonna start all over again and I'm gonna obliterate these people. And you remember Moses saying to the Lord, no, take me if it's necessary. And it is a tremendous study and really a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and the willingness that he had to suffer and to sacrifice for others. But I want us tonight to just stay on this theme of how Moses, the servant of God, responded in this great moment of crisis in the nation of Israel. Now we can continue to read. Well, let's go ahead to chapter 33. The story continues. We'll pick it up at verse number 7. Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp. Now the Lord has described for him what it's supposed to look like, right, in those 40 days. And so Moses builds it. He takes it outside the camp afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out under the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. And it came to pass when Moses went out under the tabernacle, that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses." Another fulfillment of that promise. I'll speak to him face to face. Later on, Moses tells the children of Israel what happened during that conversation in the tabernacle. And so I want us to go to that passage so that we can get Moses' perspective of what's happening. Because here in Exodus chapter 33, all we see is the external results, we see what's going on outside the tent. But what should be of interest to us tonight is what happens when the servant of God, the great prayer warrior, the great intercessor of God, begins to intercede for the people of God. And so that's what I want us to see in Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9. You still with me? Yes, sir. All right. I hope so. If not, catch up. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 16. Moses now... Sometime later, speaking to the children of Israel. Deuteronomy 9.16, the Bible says, And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God, and had made you a molten calf. You had turned aside quickly out of the way which the Lord had commanded you. And I took the two tables, and I cast them out of my two hands, and break them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord as at the first. Forty days and forty nights. I did neither eat bread nor drink water because of all your sins which you sinned in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Now Exodus doesn't tell us this. Here in Deuteronomy we find out that Moses, he had just spent 40 days and 40 nights right up there with the leaders of Israel, getting those tablets written from the finger of God. He comes back down and he says, now it was time for me again to meet with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, but this time he said, I prayed for you. 40 days and 40 nights I met with the Lord because of your wickedness. And this is what they talked about. Look at verse number 19. For I was afraid of the anger and the hot displeasure wherewith the Lord was wroth against you to destroy you. But the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also. Can I say to you that before we can get engaged in the ministry of intercessory prayer and before we can begin the process of praying for us as a sinful people, We need to have a new understanding and a refreshed understanding of what it means to have the fear of God in our lives. Moses said, I prayed because I was afraid. Now, did that mean that God didn't love Moses? Of course not. Did it mean that God didn't love Israel? Of course not. But can I go back to the time when I was a boy thinking about being a baseball announcer? There were times when I was afraid of my father. Now, my father did not abuse me at least by a definition that I would use today, maybe by somebody's definition he did. Um, My father grounded me, scolded me, my father spanked me. And when he spanked me, it was an event. You knew something was about to happen because he would announce the spanking was coming. There were no fists of fury. It didn't happen in a moment. It wasn't a lightning bolt out of nowhere. It was my father saying, come here into my room. And I knew, I knew there was gonna be a speech. My father was gonna, like a lawyer, lay out his case. He would ask questions of the defense. That was me. What did I tell you to do? This was a clarification of the law. It happens in every court, right? We have to say what law he is guilty of or he's being convicted of breaking such and such a law. And my father would say, what did I tell you to do? Now you can fill in the blank with whatever you want. Whatever law you can think of, I broke it at some point. And so my father would say, and what did you do? This was my father's way of saying guilty or not guilty. He just skipped the not guilty part because I wouldn't have been there if I wasn't guilty. He already knew I was guilty. He just wanted me to say, well, I was told to do X and I did three, right? I was told not to do Y and I did Y repeatedly and with great joy. And that's what has brought us to this day at this moment. And then there would be the issuing of the punishment. There was no jury. There was no deliberation. My father had already deliberated. The the verdict had already been cast before he ever said, go to my room. How many of you were raised with my dad? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right. My father would then do what it was that he promised to me that he was going to do if I did not do Y or if I did X or three or whatever the thing was. And he did it um, not with great joy, but he did it enthusiastically, and he did it without remorse, even though he always said, this is going to hurt me. No, 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 it hurt me more than it hurt him. Now, I learned after a few times of that happening, I don't want that to happen again. So there were moments in my life when I deliberated. I thought, I want to do this thing. My buddies are doing it. My buddies said, it's fun. Everybody's doing it. The whole world's doing it. Pastor wanted to be a Marine when he grew up. I, When I grew up, I was raised by a Marine. My dad still thought somewhere we were over at Camp Pendleton. Because when he said jump, I said, how high? I mean, that's that's the way it worked. And so I would say to my buddies, no. No, no. I went to high school in the 1970s. I know. I know. I'm as surprised as you are. Go 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 Google 1970s. Just go Google 1970 images, and every guy in the church did not or in this, in the world did not look like me in the 1970s, except for you know who. This haircut has been pretty close to what I've had most of my life. You know why? Have I mentioned my dad? Did that come up? I mean, if it started to brush. I went to Bob Jones University where they had a hair standard. That was nothing on me, man. I go, oh, I can grow my hair that long. My dad can't say a thing about it, right? This is good because that rebelliousness was still in me. I mean, there were things that I did not do because I was afraid of my father. There should still be some things we do not do because we have love and fear and respect for our father. Listen, God is not a whammy God. I think sometimes we get that. If I do this wrong, God's going to just whammy. And I'm going, no. He is slow to anger. He is merciful. He is gracious. But there comes a point at which he says, all right, all right, there's going to be a consequence, right? Moses began by saying, I was fearful. He had a fear of God. Uh, Moses not only displayed a fear of God, I would remind you, by the way, Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 31, you've heard the phrase, it is a fearful thing to what? To fall into the hands of the living God. There's a famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, a great evangelistic sermon preached by Jonathan Edwards a couple of hundred years ago. It's a magnificent sermon, and if you read it, you'd say, boy, I don't know how anybody stayed awake during that. It's not a powerful read. But historians tell us that people stood in the church that night, clutching the pew in front of them, afraid they were going to slip into hell at any moment, hearing the words of that sermon. As terrifying as that night must have been, can I remind you, believer, that Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, was not written to unsaved men and women. It was written to us as believers. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I believe there are some believers we're going to have some accounting to do one day. We've lived life under our own terms. We have fashioned God into our own image. We have created our own golden calves out of whatever they might be. And we live as though nobody's noticing. And the Lord said to Moses before he ever went down off the mountain, this is what they've done. There's a calf and there's gold and there's Aaron. Every detail God knew about. Moses was afraid. Moses not only displayed the fear of God, but Moses appealed to the promises of God. Look at verse number 26. I prayed therefore unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, destroy not thy people, thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed through thy greatness, which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Notice, I'll read it again, O Lord God, destroy not thy people, thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed through thy greatness, which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt. With a mighty hand. God, remember your promises to these people. These are your people. And well before I was born and well before we ever even went to Egypt, you were making these promises with your people. And so I'm going to appeal to those promises tonight. He not only appealed to the promises of God, but he appealed to the character of God. Look at verse 27. Remember thy servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob look not unto the stubbornness of this people, nor to their wickedness, nor to their sin. By reminding God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this was shorthand to say you made covenants, agreements, pacts with those people. You are the God who changes not. And when you made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you have in fact made a covenant with this people. And so by appealing to the nature and to the character of God, Moses was in fact appealing to what you and I would say is the word of God. We stand on the promises of the word. We believe that God will do what he says he will do. Our faith is based on it, right? We believe that since Jesus was resurrected from the dead, what will happen to us? pastor preached on it this morning. We too shall be resurrected from the dead. Because God doesn't change. He made that promise. He proved himself powerful enough, and now he says, I'm going to do it again one day with you. We believe in the mercy and grace of God, and we trust in that promise, and cling to that promise, because if God changes that promise, you and I have no hope. And so one day we'll stand on the threshold of heaven, convinced, convicted, and certain we're going in. Why? Because the promises of God are sure. We bow the knee to him in prayer and we speak up and we tell him what we have need of. We lay before him our petitions and our burdens and our cares because he has told us we can come and we trust his word when he tells us, I will hear and I will answer. And so when we go to the Lord in prayer, it is not an incorrect thing to do. Say, Lord, I'm claiming this promise. I've read it in your word. This isn't my desire. This isn't my goodness. This isn't my hope. This is what you've told me that I can count on. So here I am. Moses appealed finally to the glory of God. Look at verse number 28. Lest the land which thou broughtest us out say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land which he had promised them, and because he hated them, he hath brought them out to slay them in the wilderness. Lord, there's a world that's watching. In the same way that the sin of the people was to the shame, not only of them, but of their God, Lord, if you don't respond, your own name will be diminished. I'm appealing then to the glory of God. How should we pray for our church? How should we pray for the spiritual condition of our own family here? Shouldn't we be praying the same way? Lord, we want to have a fear for who you are and a reverence for your name. Lord, we want to remember your word and to claim it and to live it in every way. Lord, we want to claim the promises, and when you tell us that if we confess our sin, you'll be faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, Lord, we're claiming that promise today. Lord, you tell us that if there's one who's overtaken in a fault, that we have a responsibility to restore that one in a spirit of meekness and in fear, but Lord, we know we can only do so much unless you do the work in the heart, unless your Holy Spirit touches that person. John chapter 17, the Lord prayed the same sort of prayer for his own disciples, speaking of the glory of God. John 17, of course, is that passage which is the high priestly prayer of Christ. It is what I normally refer to as the real Lord's prayer, not the model prayer, but the one that he prayed on our behalf. He said, I and them and thou and me, that they may be perfect in one. That the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. I'm praying for them, that they might see my glory, so that the world outside there might be able to see your glory through them and to understand who it is that you are. And so we pray for one another, not just so that we will be healthy and well and strong, as important as all of those things are, But we pray for one another that we'll have a testimony that stands for the Lord Jesus Christ. That we have the kind of character that reflects him in everything that we do. So that when people see somebody from Bible Baptist Church, they say, You know, I I don't really know what they preach over there, what they teach over there. I don't know much about their theology, but I'll tell you something. There's something about those people that attend that church. There's something that just makes me curious to know what's happening. May God help it to be so with us. 40 days and 40 nights, those are numbers of testing in the Bible, right? Jesus was tested in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. It was 40 days and 40 nights that the rain fell on the earth and that the ark was suspended over the surface of the globe. 40 days and 40 nights, it comes up over and over and over again. And Moses said that, for me, it was 40 days and 40 nights of asking the Lord to do something. We're not going to take the time to do it, but you can return to Exodus chapter 33 later and you'll see a couple of things happened. All those people who watched Moses go into the tabernacle. The Bible says that every one of them went back home and worshipped the Lord in their own tent. When Moses began to pray, the hearts of the people were affected and impacted. And suddenly that golden calf that they were worshipping slipped in their memory. And they found themselves on their faces before Jehovah again. There in the tabernacle, Moses begged with God and said, I want the promise of your peace. And the Lord said, I will go with you and you will have peace. What a blessed thought. Because see, up till that moment, the presence of God didn't mean peace. The presence of God meant judgment and fear, right? And the Lord said, I promise you're going to have that peace. I talked to the pastor before I, before I determined to do what I'm going to do tonight because I wanted to have his permission to do it. I want to challenge us as a church to 40 days and 40 nights of prayer. Um, In just a little over six weeks, we're going to have a revival meeting. An evangelist is coming. He's got an iPad full of sermons. He's going to preach them to us. They will be well-polished. They're sermons he's preached before, I'm sure. An evangelist knows how to preach to the needs of churches. He will come in and he will tell us, I promise you, the same thing that pastor tells us all the time, but it'll be a different voice saying it. We'll hear it in a different way. And we're praying that God will use him. But we don't dare let this revival meeting just come and go as some date on the calendar. I think we need to look to this revival meeting as a moment to say to the Lord, what is it that we need? Where are the calves in our lives? What have we forgotten about what you've delivered us out of? What is it that's sucking us back into Egypt and making us comfortable? Could we actually seek the Lord's face in this same way for ourselves, for our families, for our church family, for those who visit us from time to time, for our neighbors who know about us, for the neighbors who know us in our own neighborhoods? Is there a way that we can pray that God will work in such a way so that his name would be glorified, not only here in this room, but in our own homes and in our own workplaces? Could we see the power of God move? And if the power of God is going to move, it has to start moving within us first. In just a moment, I'm going to do something that is candidly unusual. Normally, at this time, I would be winding us down in the sermon, and I would have some kind of pithy illustration that I would hope would drive home whatever that final point was, and I would say, let's pray, and we would pray. And when I say amen, the men who are in charge of the live stream would, at that point, stop the live stream because that's what we've asked them to do. We've asked them not to have the invitation so that if somebody comes forward and talks to pastor in confidence, we don't need to have that broadcast on the internet. You'd all agree with that. And so generally, that's what we do. But before our live streamers go away tonight, I want to give them an opportunity to do the same thing that the rest of us are going to do in a few minutes. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14, it's the most famous Bible passage, you know it, uh, regarding revival and the need for prayer. The scripture says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear the land. And so as a church, and again with pastor's blessing, I want to challenge you to that for 40 days. And I'm going to give those of us in the room an opportunity to respond in in a very direct way in a moment, but To those of you on the live stream, I would say, if you will join us in that, and you say, yes, I want to do that, every day for 40 days, beginning on March 14th, because that's the 40th day before the revival meeting. You'll you'll get a little note in the email before you get up, Lord willing, it'll be there. It'll just be a prayer verse. It'll just be a thought for the day. A prayer focus, we'll call it, for that day. We're going to pray the same way Moses prayed. We're going to pray for the glory of God. We're going to remind ourselves of the character and the nature of our God. We're going to remind ourselves of our own weakness and sinfulness. We're going to remind ourselves of the great need that we face. We're going to pray as intercessors one for another. The note will be short. You could read the note and pray a quick prayer and be done with it in 15 seconds if you choose to. Or you might make it a meditation throughout the day to turn to as the Lord brings it to your mind. But we're looking for folks that will say, I'm committing to do that. For 40 days, I'm committing to pray for myself, for my church family for my own personal family, and for our neighborhood, for our community, that we might see God move in us in a remarkable way. It will mean, as it meant for Moses, some sacrifice. It may mean that God speaks to us about some calf that we didn't see coming. It may mean that he moves us in a way that might feel uncomfortable at first. But the question is, are we willing to do it? So if you're on the live stream and you say, yeah, I think I'd willing, be willing to do that. I'm not asking you to respond on text. I'm not asking you to do any such thing. We have a place now on the website, biblebaptistonline.com slash 40 days. 40 days. Biblebaptistonline.com slash 40 days. Put your name, put your email address. And that's it. And we'll know that every day you're going to receive that little note and say, I'm going to pray that way. Amen. So as those of you who are on the live stream, I hope you've jotted that down and said, I'll do that. I'll be a part of it. We're not going to look at a list and say, Pastor, here are the people who've committed and here are the ones that didn't. That's not the point. We might have four people that say, yeah, I'll do that. Praise the Lord for four. We might have 40, but we might have 140. I don't know. Honestly, I don't care. We're just looking for folks who will say, we need to pray. We need to seek God's face. Those of you still in the room, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, you know the wrestling I've done with this message. And what I sense is my own inability to communicate what you've laid on my heart. But we leave that to your spirit. Speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed.